Amen. It's good to be together. I hope you look forward to Sunday mornings or whenever God's people come together. You know, the enemy tries to keep us away because he knows what we need. He knows what the Lord has for us. We come together. The Lord's always with us, but there is a special dynamic. We come together with God's people, not just for what we receive, but how the Lord can use us to encourage others, and in doing so, we get lifted up. Well, this morning, we did have a focus on the persecuted church, and again, I want to remind you to just put that on your prayer list, your journal, whatever it is in front of you to continue to remember to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world, and as the Lord prompts you to do so. Uh, we, we planned to introduce or to uh, focus on that last Sunday when we introduced our theme uh, on relent, called Relentless. We talked about why God allows suffering, why He allows hardship and trial in believers' lives, and we talked about a few different reasons why He did. By no means were the reasons exhaustive. One of the things we did talk about, because oftentimes in our suffering, we think of Job and, and how Job didn't understand what was going on. And though he sought the Lord, didn't get an answer. But remember, we talked about the fact that that in itself was the test, whether or not Job would remain faithful, even though he went through what he went through, not knowing why. And of course, he proved himself to be faithful. But at the end, he also saw a much larger picture of who God is, what God is doing, and also had a much larger picture of himself and his own faith. And now he grew through that. But we also talked about, which I want to mention this morning really, is that most times when we encounter tests and trials, we need to understand that God does want us to know what's going on. Or at least, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, that he, if we acknowledge the Lord in all of our ways, that He will direct our paths. And it doesn't mean that we always see the big picture, but the Lord gives us enough revelation to stay faithful. He gives us enough revelation to cooperate with Him in what He's doing in our lives in that season. So it's not just a matter of just grinning and bearing it. It's a matter of pressing into Jesus rather than withdrawing from Jesus. Because the enemy wants you to point your finger at God and say, God, if you really love me, this would not happen. Whereas God is saying, no, my child, you don't understand. This is happening because I love you and because I have purpose for you. And there's something I want to show you. There's something I want to grow in you. There's something I want to free you from, whatever it may be. But when you know the heart of God towards you, you can actually look forward to some of these times knowing that God is working in it. It's not just happenstance in your life. Well, one more purpose I want to focus on this morning before we move into the Advent season next week. And really, one purpose that is the focus of our teaching this morning one purpose that God allows struggle, hardship, difficulty, suffering, whatever you may want to call it, into our lives is, for the, is that he might strengthen our sense of perseverance. He wants to strengthen perseverance in us. And we need to understand that perseverance is not something God develops in us just for the sake of perseverance. So you can say, hey, you've got that quality, you've got that trait nailed down. No, Paul said this to the believers in Rome. He said, even in times of trouble or Jerusalem rather, we have a joyful confidence. Let me say that again. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence. How's that? Knowing that our pressures will develop in us patient endurance or perseverance. Perseverance is essentially, it's kind of like a door. It's what you might call a hinge trait. Your door is on hinges. Why? So it can swing open. It can allow things in, allow things to leave. In the same way, perseverance is a hinge trait in the believer's life. So much of what Jesus has for you to know, to experience, to minister, 
hinges entirely on whether or not you grow in perseverance and endurance. Jesus said in Matthew 11, I'm reading from the Passion Bible, from the moment John, John the Baptist, stepped onto the scene until now, the realm of heaven's kingdom is bursting forth. And would you read the rest? And passionate people have taken hold of its power. Passionate people, enduring people, persevering people are the ones who don't just observe it, are the ones who are taking hold of the power of the kingdom, who are living in the kingdom of God, who are experiencing the promises of God, the purposes of God in their lives. Now, many people share their dreams. I'm sure we know what it's like to sit around with friends and talk about our aspirations or if I want a million dollars, you know. It, just, it might even just relate to dreams that we have, visions that we have. But we need to understand as believers that being inspired is one thing. Uh, being inspired by maybe somebody you hear preaching the Word, whether it's on TV or in a Sunday service. Being inspired by something you read in the Word of God. Or you may even have somebody prophesy over your life. They may have a word of knowledge for you and speak something to your life. That's a wonderful thing. But friends, that's the easy part. That happens to all of us. We all have those moments of insight and inspiration. But it's another thing to walk it out. It's another thing to persevere in the word God drops in your heart. It's another thing to lay hold of that word that is spoken over you or that inspires you or that you read in the word of God and say, yeah, that's true. It's another thing to move from that inspiration to actually seeing it being fleshed out in your life and in your experience. For that, what you need is an endless supply of perseverance. Because hear me, friends, without perseverance, nothing really matters. Doesn't really matter what you hear. Doesn't matter how inspired you may be. It doesn't matter what you can quote. It doesn't matter what New Year's resolutions you make, as sincere as you may be. Without perseverance, it really doesn't matter. It's been said that one person with perseverance is greater than 99 who have only an interest. There's a whole lot of interest in the body of Christ, isn't there? But maybe not perseverance. And one of the problems is that none of us really are born with perseverance. It's not really a trait we come by naturally in our fallen nature. Generally, our fallen nature just wants to follow the path of least resistance, right? We kind of have our dreams, our ambitions, and kind of hope everything comes together okay to make it come to pass. We're not really born with perseverance. If we were all born with perseverance, we'd all be overachievers, Right? We'd all be successful. We'd all, you know, just, it would just be a matter of routine. But it's not a matter of routine. There's actually reward that we experience when we learn to overcome challenges. When we learn to push through what God is showing us to do and we come to a place of victory, we come to a place of revelation, we come to a new dimension of understanding God's heart for us or a new dimension of ministry, whatever it may be. Those things are exciting. Those things are joyful. Why? Because they're not common. Not everybody does that. And we may not even do it all the time ourselves. At the end of Paul's life, he said this to Timothy, he said, I have fought an excellent fight. I have finished my full course, and I have kept my heart full of faith. I love that translation. Through it all, I have kept my heart full of faith. Now, please understand, Paul was not saying, 
At the end of my day, I look back, and I've lived a full life. That's not what he's saying. He said, that's a very shallow measure that we use in our day. Somebody dies at 70. Somebody dies at 80. We say, well, they lived a full life. What does that mean? Well, they had a decent job, got some money in the bank. Their kids are doing okay. They got a house. They lived a pretty full life. That's not what Paul is saying. Though Paul had a full life, Paul is saying this, I believe, that everything the Lord has given me to do, everything the Lord has called me to pass through, I have completely fulfilled. That's what I mean by a full life. What God has given me, what God has said to me, what God has led me into, what he's grown me. In fact, even when Paul was, first came to Christ, what did, what did the Lord say? He said, I've set Paul aside and I must show him the many things that he will suffer for the kingdom. Imagine having that as your prospects coming to the Lord. <laughs> Come to the Lord, oh Jesus, I receive as my Savior, forgive me my sin. See in heaven. Now I'm going to begin to show you all the things you're going to suffer because you're following me. In the second letter to the believers in Corinth, Paul was addressing the fact that there were some people who made slanderous accusations against them, people that didn't have a clue, people that didn't go, go through anything that Paul went through, didn't know Jesus like Paul did, yet they still had the audacity to slander him. And Paul kind of sarcastically or tongue-in-cheek, I don't know, this is what he writes in response. He says, I have worked much harder for God, taken more beatings, and been dragged to more prisons than they. I have been flogged excessively, multiple times, even to the point of death. Now, I hesitate to read this too quickly because I want this to sink in. This is true. I have been flogged, he says, even to the point of death. Five times I've received 39 lashes from the Jewish leaders. Three times I experienced being beaten with rods. Once they stoned me. He's elaborate on how I basically, you know, to the point of death I suffered. Three times I've been shipwrecked. For an entire night and day I was adrift at the open, on the open sea. In my difficult tr travels, I've faced many dangerous situations. Perilous rivers, robbers, foreigners, even my own people. I've survived deadly peril in the city, in the wilderness, with storms at sea, with spies posing as believers. I've toiled to the point of exhaustion and gone through many sleepless nights. I've frequently been deprived of food and water, left hungry and shivering out in the cold, lacking proper clothing. Now the reason I read that is because comparing Scripture to Scripture, Paul is saying it is in this context that I have finished my full course. It's in going through all these things as I went through them that I kept my heart full of faith. I'm not just talking theory, Paul says. No, this is the stuff I went through. This is the stuff I had to push through when I look back at the end of my days. It's in the context of these realities that I'm not just saying, oh, I lived a full life because everything went well. No, I lived the life that Jesus Christ set out before me, and because of that, my life is complete. There's a big difference. That's perseverance. It's also the reason Paul looked forward to seeing Jesus. Not just to get out of this world. In fact, Paul said on another occasion, it's much better that I be with Christ. I would prefer that, but I know there's so much more I still have to do for him here. So I'm content to stay here and continue to go through what I'm going through. 
And yet Paul looked forward to seeing Jesus. Paul even looked forward to the day of judgment when he will stand before the Lord and the fire of God is put to his works. He's looking forward to the rewards that he will receive. And I can't help but wonder when I read that scripture if we really understand. Friends, in Western Christianity, North America, opulence, comfort, pleasure, I wonder if we really understand that if we do not uh, complete what God has assigned for us, we will lose our reward. There is no reward. We will be saved so as by fire. We will be saved by the skin of our teeth. We will be paupers in heaven. Paul says we need to understand God has an assignment for every single one of us. He has a purpose that he wants us to fulfill. And there are rewards in fulfilling that. And I wonder if it may not be one of the reasons why, relatively speaking, very few Christians actually look forward to seeing Jesus. Really. I remember a story once of a pastor who said, you know, how many want to go to heaven? Nobody stood up. And then finally, as a pastor asked three or four times, one man stood to clarify, said, well, pastor, we're not sure. Do you mean right now? I mean, of course we all want to go to heaven because the alternative is not too pretty. But you see, we don't have the same anxiousness. We don't certainly have the same anticipation of the judgment seat of Christ. That I look forward to standing before the Lord. I can't wait to see the look on his face when my life is tested by fire and I'm surrounded by gold and silver and precious stones. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, you need to persevere so that when you have what? done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. What's he saying? He says, if you will hold on, you will be able to do what God has called you to do, and you will receive what he has promised. Now, a logical question is, is how do you get perseverance? Look at Paul's word to the Corinthians. He said, we all experience times of testing. It's normal for every human being. But God will be faithful to you. And I love this translation. He will screen and filter the severity, nature, and timing of every test or trial you face so that you can bear it. And each test is an opportunity to trust him more. For along with every trial, God has provided for you a way of escape or a way out, a way through so that you, he, that will bring you out of it victoriously. How does God build perseverance in us? What he does, according to the scripture, is he begins with a trial that he knows you can handle. Any of you say, oh Lord, I don't understand why, or I can't handle this. It says, I know you can. With my help, I know you can. And so he'll start you at the level that he knows that you succeed in, but then over time he increases the difficulty, he increases the frequency. Why? To make you someone you never thought you could be. To give you insight you never had before. To give you love and compassion that you've never had before. To open new dimensions of ministry that you never imagined. I find it interesting, not surprising, but interesting how many brothers and sisters that I know when they go through certain trials, and this is a wonderful thing, but how often ministries will come out of their lives once they've gone through it. 
I think of brothers who've gone through surgeries through cancer or through other, some other you know, male condition, whatever. And I know, I know pastors who have developed ministries now. They, they move in those circles and they bring the gospel. They bring love. They bring healing and ministry into those circles that before, not only were they not aware of, probably didn't even care about. And the Lord has brought a new dimension of their life for what they've gone through. Everything you receive or minister in Jesus... It depends on whether you grow in perseverance. And that requires times of testing. Because perseverance doesn't grow on its own. And perseverance is what will determine whether or not you ever lay hold of all that is bursting out of the kingdom of God. It will determine whether or not you let it just wash on by and flow down the drain or whether you say, no, that's for me. That's God's word. That's God's promise. That's something the Lord wants me to lay hold of. That's why James said in chapter 1, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy that you can. For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you. Isn't it a wonderful reading? When your faith is tested, not when everything is going smoothly, not when everything is going according to your plan, but when your faith gets tested in those times, in those seasons, in the frequency that God knows is just right for you, he says, what happens? God uses them to stir up the spirit within you, to stir up your faith within you. Is this something you're going through? The Bible says we all go through it. Whether you know Jesus or not, we all go through difficult times. But if you're going through it this morning, I want to encourage you to lean into your relationship with the Lord and let him grow perseverance in you. Because it is a race that you have to run. It's a race that you have to compete in. You've got to complete. If you're going to walk with the Lord, it won't happen sitting on the sidelines. And when we understand that without perseverance, we will never do the will of God, we will never receive what God has promised, when we really understand how important perseverance is, what James is saying, and this sounds crazy to our Western mind, but this is the gospel, what James is saying, when you really understand what God is working through your trial and your difficulty, James says, I can actually thank the Lord. I can be thankful. Why? Because I understand as a daughter or son of God, this is not happenstance. This is happening for purpose. God has purpose in this. And what he's asking me to do is not turn from him, not withdraw, but press in more. Hold on tighter. Drop other things. Make him priority. Seek him with prayer and fasting. Say, Lord, help me to understand what is going on, that I remain faithful to what you are doing. I want to cooperate with you and not work at, you know, at, at cross purposes with you. You must press into him. Now, why is perseverance so important? I believe one reason simply is because it's a primary way that we defeat the powers of darkness. You know, we forget. We forget we're in spiritual warfare. Do you realize that? I've said it many times before. When the enemy comes against you, he will weave it into the natural fabric of your life in such a way that you just think of circumstances. You're oblivious to the fact that you're under spiritual attack. 
And he just goes about his thing because you think, well, this, just, this is just the way life is. This is just my lot. This is just the way stuff happens. It may be your finances drying up. It may be unusual stress in your marriage. Or maybe some phase your children are going through. Well, they're just 14. They're just whatever. It's spiritual warfare. And the way you know it's spiritual warfare, if it doesn't line up to God's promise to you, declared in his word that is truth, then you know something's wrong. There's opposition. Something is going on. And if you will seek the Lord, he will show you. He will give you strategies. He will reveal what the enemy is up to. And he'll show you how to walk through this season. But Paul wrote to the Ephesians, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, and that's not the last days. You can be in a day of evil right now. Anytime the powers of darkness are marshaled against you, it is a day of evil. He wants you to recognize that. And when it comes, he's given you the armor that you may be able to stand your ground. Now, why do you stand your ground? Just to survive? No, no, if you know anything about military strategy, you stand your ground that having stood your ground, you then advance further into enemy territory. You move ahead. That's the purpose. It's not just taking a beating. Oh, I'm glad we survived that and sit down again. You take the beating, you overcome the enemy, and you take the territory that he thought was his. And you advance the purpose of God. And hear me, saints, you make him regret that he came against you. Now, I'm not just talking, you know, cliche here. I'll get into this in just a second. But that's very real in spiritual warfare. He says, after you have done everything, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. And then Paul goes on to describe the spiritual weapons that are ours to deploy so that we can stand. But in the end, it is the standing your ground. It is the perseverance that actually wins the day. The demonic powers that come against you, they are counting on you giving up. They are banking on it. They are counting on all the circumstances they brought against you to be too much for you to stand under. But hear me, saints, if you will stick it out, the devil won't. Let me say that again. If you will stick it out, the devil won't. We have spiritual weapons. Now, I know we quote that all the time. We've heard it a thousand times. You have spiritual weapons. Let me ask you, does a weapon, if deployed, hurt you think so? I mean, think of a real battle in the natural realm. If, if a person has weapons and you don't, are you afraid? Can they inflict some serious pain on you? We need to understand that every weapon we have been given by God is a spiritual weapon. What does that mean? It means it's not only our spiritual defense, it inflicts spiritual pain on spiritual beings. Don't think for a moment that this is just some kind of, you know, allegory. It's just kind of your know, euphemism for, I don't know, just some pretty thought. You know, so you can stick up these pictures in your Sunday school room. No, no, these are real weapons you've given, given by the Lord. Because you're fighting a real enemy, a spiritual enemy. And when you know how to use your weapons and you deploy them, he feels pain. And let me let you in on the secret. He doesn't like pain. He doesn't like pain. I don't know how the sword hurts the realms of the spirit, but it hurts. And I know this as well, according to Jude, that there are demonic beings that are held in chains, in dungeons until the last days. I don't know exactly how it works, but it may very well be that when you defeat demonic powers, that may be where they go. Maybe, maybe not. But I know that they don't run away unless they're afraid. 
Submit yourself to God. Resist the devil. Now, Satan himself may not even know you exist. He's not omniscient. But he has armies. He has, he has de demons by the millions, uh, billions around the world that are deployed for his kingdom of darkness. And they're assigned to you. And I promise you, when they come against you, they're counting on the fact that you don't know who you are in Christ. They're counting on the fact that you don't understand the weapons of the warfare that you've been given and that you don't know how to use them. They're counting on the fact by observation that you've not been trained in them. Because you don't know the word of God and you don't know how to deploy it as a sword. You don't know you have a shield of faith. You don't know that your feet are covered for advancement of the preparation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They don't know that you have a helmet of salvation, that you have been clean of your sin. There is now therefore no condemnation. The enemy has no place in your mind. They know whether or not you know that. And if you don't know that, and if you're not living in that, and if you're not persevering in that, and you've got your, your armor laying on the side, and you're just kind of, you know, daisy chains, walking through life, and, you know, oh, I just hope everything goes okay, and you don't realize that you're in spiritual warfare, friends, he will beat you every time. But when the revelation of God's truth gets into your heart, and you begin to understand who you are, you begin to understand what you've been given, what Jesus has done for you. You begin to walk in that. I'm not just talking about cliches. I'm not talking about Christian jargon that you hear somebody else, oh, that's a nice little thought, I'll use that. No, you press into Jesus. You get to know Jesus. You walk with him. You spend time with him. You worship him. You surrender to him. You cooperate with what he's doing in your life. And you begin to grow spiritual muscle. And when you do that, the enemy knows and he sees what you're doing and he will try to resist you. But if you stand every single time, every single time you submit to God and resist the devil in his name, he will flee every time. Every single time. Because you know why? When you submit to the Lord, rather than fighting in your flesh, rather than fighting in your own strength, you turn to God then all of a sudden, you got a big brother, Jesus. You've got a heavenly father who scares him to death. You may have seen the video. I saw it years ago uh, on YouTube, and, and I think recently we saw it at a cleansing stream retreat. You know, the cougar going after the, little, after the little grizzly cub. You ever see that one? Anybody? And then you see him chasing this grizzly cub and chasing him and scratching him. And the little grizzly cub is, is bleeding. And finally the cub's got nowhere else to go. And he turns around and he starts growling. Like he's like two feet high. He's growling at this, at this cougar. And all of a sudden the cougar, the ears go up and it just takes off. And the little cub's there, you know, not very intimidating. But then the camera pans behind the cub and the mama grizzly's standing there. Roaring. And you want to bet the cougar is going to flee. If you stick it out, the devil won't. It's been said the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is that good men do nothing. And Jesus is waiting for his people to rise up and take hold of the victory that he won for us on the cross. You see, victory is not the question. It never has been. The only question is who shares in it. That's the only question. It's for every child of God, but you have to decide whether or not you are one of those who take hold of the power of the kingdom. You've got to decide. 
You get to decide whether you're the person who hears inspirational thoughts and leaves maybe encouraged for a couple of moments until the first obstacle comes again and you collapse, or whether you're going to be the person who says, no, I'm going to stand in the Word of God. I'm going to start standing in this truth. I'm going to start getting into the spiritual gym and working out with the Word of God and be able to properly use the Word of God. That's when things begin to change. You see, friends, we got to understand in the body of Christ, if we don't drive back the powers of darkness, they will not be driven back. There's no point in standing in the city and pointing fingers and saying, oh, the city is going to Potter, this is going to Potter, Justin Trudeau, whatever it may be. That's foolishness. The God of this world has blinded the eyes of those who don't know Christ so that they won't know Christ, but also they won't walk in the ways of Christ. They're blinded, they're deceived. The reality is for the people of God, we need to understand that if we do not confront the works of darkness, they will continue to grow. They will grow stronger and they will grow darker. Friends, hear me this morning. Spiritual warfare is not just some cute little niche in the Christian experience for those who are wired that way. Spiritual warfare is the Christian experience. That's what it is. That's not all it is, but that's what it is. We have been enlisted into an army, the Bible says. To be a Christian is to be a spiritual warrior. And you will face resistance from the enemy every time that you step towards personal freedom because the devil hates freedom. And so you must persevere. You must not give up. You must not drift backwards toward lukewarmness and mediocrity. Hebrews says that the Lord takes no pleasure in those who shrink back. You've got to stand your ground and you've got to advance. Perseverance is so important because it's our primary way to defeat the devil. Also, it completes what God has given us to do. Now, we all know that God has a purpose for our life, right? Jeremiah 29, 11, I have a plan for you, says the Lord, to give you hope and a future. We know that. But you see what that also means is that God has planned the when and the where that you'd be born in human history. Do you realize there's a reason why you were not born in one of those nations where people are dying for their faith, 250,000 a year, just because they know Jesus? Do you realize there's a reason why you were born in this generation and not 300 years ago? Not in medieval times? Do you realize that God has a purpose for when you're born in this world and where you'll be born? According to Ephesians 2, he expects us to fulfill that purpose. Paul writes, even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny, and what else? And the good works we would do to fulfill it. I love the words spoken of King David in the book of Acts. It says that after David passionately served God's purpose for his generation, then he died. And I really believe that because God's purpose for each of us contains such power, powerful enough to change a generation, and it may or may not be an entire global generation. It may or may not be a regional generation. Whether or not you do, I can tell you this. You can be used by God to change one person. And it will change their family. And it will change their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren for generations. You can have impact for eternity if you allow the Lord to use you and you persevere and understand that he has a purpose for you in this generation. And because your purpose contains such power, you are going to be opposed by the powers of darkness through trials and suffering that will threaten to derail you. I promise you. You, you see, when you become disinterested in the things of God, 
When you or I become in those seasons maybe lukewarm, or we just kind of, we can spiritualize it. Well, I'm just not as spiritual as the other person. Or I don't have what they have. Or, oh, Lord, I wish I could be like them. He says, you're shooting too low. I've called you to be like me. Be like Jesus. That's your goal. Get your eyes on him. That's who you're called to imitate and to grow into the image of. And so we come up with these excuses, these rationales, and we don't realize, as pious as they may sound, it is spiritual warfare designed to shut you down. Because only God knows where you move in the marketplace every week. Only God knows the lives that you intersect. Only God knows what he could do through you. If you would just understand who you are in him and persevere. As we persevere through each hardship, we fulfill God's purpose for that assignment and then we learn and grow for the next assignment that he has for us and for the rewards that come with it. Paul said in Acts, I do not esteem my life as indispensable. It's more important for me to fulfill my destiny, to finish the ministry. Will you read the rest with me? My Lord Jesus has assigned to me. Paul is not saying my life doesn't matter. I believe what Paul is saying is this, that because my life matters to God, then anything that comes my way, I know, has purpose. You hear me this morning? Paul values his life. Jesus hung on to his life in the garden of Gethsemane as long as he could. Nevertheless, Father, not what I will. But you will. Why? He could release himself into the hands of a father who loves him and will never let him go. And there's a purpose for whatever he's going through. Paul didn't say his life doesn't matter. He said, I can let my life go because it matters to God. You see, when difficulty comes our way, what happens? The devil puts our attention toward the Lord and accuse him. How could you let this happen, God? God says, you have no idea what I have in store for you. You have no idea why this is happening, what I'm going to make you into, what I'm going to do through you. Like the story we read for those who missed it this morning of the missionary, the, the Christian rather, who gave his life and his wife's life and his children's life. At the moment must have thought it seems wasted. And yet out of the blood that went into the soil sprang up revival in that whole region. That's what God sees and we have to trust him if we know God's heart and his love for us. Again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, we view our short-lived troubles in the light of eternity. We see our difficulties as what? They're not inconsequential. Our difficulties are the substance that produces for us an eternal, weighty glory far beyond all comparison. In another translation, Paul says that all these things that we are going through that may be difficult, but in the light of eternity, they are just momentary. And in fact, what God is working in us through them, the glory of it far outweighs anything we'll go through. The reward is so much greater than the risk. You know, I really think we need to come back to the Lord this morning. Kind of like the word of exhortation that was shared earlier when Mary spoke. We need to come back to that place of abandonment. And in fact, I encourage us, friends, as we move through this year, we've talked about our theme being to enlarge the place of our dwelling, our tent, our impact, to stretch out those curtains, drive in those stakes. We need to be doing that all through the year. And I want to encourage you, whatever God's been stirring in your heart this year, 
Whatever he's been growing in you, whatever he has spoken to you, it may be 11 months ago when you put it on the shelf. It may be some ministry he exposed you to. It may be some way that he's been used. It was exciting, but you've let it wane. You've let the interest wane. I want to encourage you this morning to finish strong. You've still got five weeks left in this year. I want to encourage you to find some time with the Lord and say, Lord, what have I given up on this year? What has derailed me? What have I allowed my, where have I allowed myself to shrink back? Lord, this morning I dig my heels in again, and I say in these five or six weeks that remain, Lord, begin to rebirth, begin to renew, begin, oh, Father, to stir up that power and passion within me. I want to finish this year strong. I know I'm all over the place this morning. I hope this is sinking in somewhere. I just thought, Lord, as I was preparing this message, I thought, Lord, so few of us serve your purpose for our generation. We really do. So many of us give up on your assignments too soon. We are a generation of quitters. We really are in our culture today. We quit our ministry assignments. We quit relationships. We quit, we quit church. We quit praying. We get hurt. We get offended. We get discouraged. What do we do? We just quit. We just quit. You see, starting is easy, right? Yeah, January 1's coming. How many are going on a diet? Don't raise your hands. That's okay. I know it's all of us, right? Yeah, the starting's easy. The gyms love it. They make millions of dollars in the first month. They're banking on you guys. It's Black Friday for them. It pays all the bills for the coming year. But too few finish. Jesus promised he will finish the work that he has begun in us if we will persevere. I say, well, Paul, how do you persevere? Let me give you a couple of scriptures in closing. Hebrews 12. As for us, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds. So we must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. Then we'll be able to run life's marathon race with passion and determination. For the path has already been marked out for us. The analogy, of course, is just this Olympic stadium filled with people who passionately serve the purpose of God in their generation. And, and the writer wants us to understand that in the same way, God has given you and me life. And with that life, he has placed us into the same race with a purpose. But he says, I want you to look at the people who've gone on before. They're actually listed in Hebrews chapter 11 throughout scripture, throughout human history, in the persecuted church. He said, I want you to look at them as proof that, number one, you can run the race successfully. And number two, the struggles are more than worth it. Testimony after testimony, the scripture says, is recorded for you in God's word to strengthen your resolve to keep pressing forward. How do you persevere? Secondly, let go of every distraction. We must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin we so easily fall into. If you are going to participate in God's kingdom, if you are going to persevere, you must first let go of unforgiveness. You have to let go of the wounds. You have to let go of any offense. And you must determine with God's help to stop playing with sin. Stop falling into the same stuff over and over again. Get a handle on your life. Get a handle on the sin. Whatever you've got to do, there's people around. The Holy Spirit is there. The Word of God, whatever you've got to do, you're not going to go forward. But here's the key. You're running your own race. Your eyes are on Jesus. 
Your eyes are on the assignment that he has given to you. So you have to decide to let go of whatever is hindering God's plan for you. And this is key. Even though it may be fine for someone else. Stop comparing yourself to somebody else. You will stand before Christ alone, you and him. All he's going to ask you to do is how did you run the race I gave you to run? But, no, 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 there's no buts. I told you, keep your eyes on me. Don't look at anybody else. Don't look at how good things seem to be going. You don't know what's happening behind the closed doors. Don't look at how bad things may be seem going. Don't look at the things they say you can do and can't do. It doesn't matter. If I say it's sin for you, it's sin for you. Don't worry about them. Worry about me. Get your eyes on me. I've got a race for you. I know how you need to be trained. I know how to get you there. I'm asking more of you or less than you than somebody else. You need to be faithful to me. Eyes right here. Right here. No excuses. It's me and you. I've given you everything you need to complete this race. Everything you need to be a ministering person. If I've dropped it in your heart, I'm going to do it. But you've got to get your eyes on me. And you've got to persevere. The excuses aren't going to cut it when you stand before me. Because I've made you and wired you a certain way. I know what you can do, and you know what? I expect you to do it. I'm your master. Have you forgotten? I'm your master. Finally, don't be discouraged. Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. The devil wants to discourage your friends so that you'll give up, you'll quit. That's why you need to recognize where the discouragement comes from. And you need to resist it. Nothing worthwhile is ever easy. Let me ask you this morning, what's discouraging you? Just think about it for a moment. What is discouraging you? And then listen to what I'm going to say. And I don't mean this to be unkind. Because I say this from my own personal experience. If you are living in discouragement, it's your choice. Let me say that again. If you are living in discouragement, it is your choice. I've been there. Discouragement is always a choice. It comes from dwelling on discouraging thoughts, dwelling on the lies of the enemy, dwelling on the words of others. God has given you his word. He's given you his truth to stir up power within you to defeat discouragement. And I'm not talking about just a positive mental attitude. I'm not talking about a mind game. I'm talking about pressing into Jesus. I'm talking about getting away with him. Seeking him with fasting and prayer, waiting on him until he speaks to you because he's a real person and he wants to talk to you and he wants to walk with you. People of faith choose to fight discouragement. They choose to focus on God's purpose instead of just the immediate problem. They choose to focus on the strength that's found in God's presence instead of their own weakness. I'm going to ask the musicians to join me. Final scripture, Paul said in Philippians 4, I have learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens. Let me say that again. I have learned the secret. Why is he saying that? Because not everybody gets it. No, they all can, but not everybody chooses. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens. Say it with me. I can do all things through Christ, because he gives me strength. Friends, that's not just a cliche. It's not just a nice little catchphrase. It's the key to persevering. And again, it means that you must learn to lean into Jesus. 
You must learn to do whatever it takes to cultivate a real relationship with the living God, with Jesus, who invites you into this relationship. If you do not, you will drop out of the race. You will sit by the sidelines. When I get to the end of my life, I want to be able to say, Jesus, I didn't just think about me. Let me say that again. I didn't just think about me. I did everything that you put me here to do. I became everything that you brought me through to become. I want to finish strong. I want to finish strong. Would you bow your heads with me? As the musicians play, I want to invite you for a moment just to do business with God. If he's speaking to your heart, I hope I haven't come across harsh. That's not God's heart. God's heart is strict. He's stern, but he's full of love. I just want to wake us up this morning. I just want to wake us up this morning. We've got to stop drifting. Got to stop getting by. Got to stop shrinking back. Got to stop serving everything else but Jesus. We've got to finish strong. And there are precious promises God has given to each of us here in this room. Things he has exposed you to. Ways he has used you. Ways he has inspired you. He says, this is my truth for you. Come on, lay hold of it. Don't give up just because a test comes your way. Just because life gets difficult. It happens to everybody in the world. Don't give up. Your faith is tested. Why? That my power might get stirred up in you. Get stirred up in you. That you can see whether or not you really have a living faith. And if you don't, then press in. The Lord says, and I'll give you a living faith. I'll make your faith come alive. If the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will make you come alive by the spirit of God who dwells in you. So I'm going to ask Pastor Chris in the plane as he does. Can we remain bowed just for a moment? And I just want to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit, are there dreams I've given up on? Are there visions? Are there callings? Are there ministries? Are there hope and relationships, finance, whatever it may be, Lord, that I've given up on? Lord, show me those things. I'm going to lay hold of them again this morning. I want you, and I want everything that you have for me. Let's just bow our heads and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts before we leave this morning.